What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. I'm your host, Andrew Neuer, coming at you on a Wednesday night, June 1st. That's the sweet sound of a loon juice. Let me know what you're drinking in the comments section below. I'm currently up north on vacation, but hey, we have a lot to talk about, so let's talk some Minnesota sports. Today's episode is brought to you by Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty. The real estate economy right now is crazy, and it's the perfect time to sell your house. Whether you're looking to sell, invest in real estate, or find your next dream home, then Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty is your guy. Eric is committed to bringing you an experience that goes beyond just buying or selling a home. If that sounds like you, give Eric Molsather a call at 651-357-6528. Or email him at eric.molsather at cbrealty.com. That's eric with a K dot M-O-L-S-A-T-H-E-R at cbrealty.com. And tell him Andrew sent you. As of Wednesday night, the Minnesota Twins are 30-21 and with a five-game lead over the Chicago White Sox. As I said in the beginning, I'm on vacation, so I'm just trying to fit in somewhere where to do this podcast so i'm doing this with the game on literally the tv in the background so i'm watching the twins as they were doing this podcast but right now they're five games above 500 and i don't think it's time to hit the panic button they're still got a good sizable lead even though they are going to face the the blue jays the yankees and the rays is they have looked bad against the royals and the tigers but it's hard to complain because of all the injuries and the people and the players on the IL due to COVID. Like you have Carlos Correa on the COVID IL. You have Joe Ryan, Hilberto Celestino on the COVID IL. Celestino is at least showing improvement and he received a negative test. I don't know 100%. I'd have to look at this up, but I believe it's as long. You can come back whether you've quarantined for 10 days or it's been, or you've recorded two negative tests and a clearance with the doctor Joe Ryan is also improving, so that's good news. Hopefully they can get him back as well. Sonny Gray might still be heading to the IL, but it's looking more and more like he might be able to avoid it. I know initially when he left the ball game and it was later that night and the next day it was kind of looking like it was going to be a for sure IL thing. It looks like after throwing a couple of bullpen things or just playing catch that he's looking a lot better. So hopefully Sonny Gray can avoid the IL and we can get him back in the starting rotation with Joe Ryan. That'd be a huge, 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 huge help. And that kind of brings me to the next point. Minnesota should be going after Frankie Montas right now. Because right now, the starting ro- if everyone is fully healthy, the starting rotation should be Joe Ryan, Sonny Gray, Bailey Ober, Josh Winder, and Devin Smeltzer. As you might notice, Chris Archer and Dylan Bundy are not on that list. That's because they're not good. I've given them a long enough leash. I thought they would be a little better than what they maybe originally signed for. I wasn't really, I didn't have high hopes for them, but I thought for sure they'd be better than Jay Happ and uh, Matt Shoemaker. They have been, but they're just not good enough. They're your fourth or fifth starter. And obviously your fourth and fifth starter is not going to be the best players, but when they're going out there and giving you four innings, three innings, five innings, and they're giving up three, four, five runs, maybe even more. It's time to cut bait, especially when they're on one-year contracts. You're not really losing anything. And you've obviously seen that 
Josh Winder is a better pitcher. Devin Smeltzer has been incredible. He looks like a freaking ace out there. I mean, he's throwing six, seven innings. Might not be striking out a whole lot, but he's giving you weak contact. His curveball is a rainbow in in the strike zone every time. His wife made him literally into a legend. If you didn't miss, if you missed that, Devin Smeltzer said that his wife, who played some softball, kind of gave him some tips on like maybe mixing up some pitches, throwing a little more of the changeup. And hey, it's working. He looks amazing out there. And I really hope he can stick. He's got an incredible story with the cancer and coming back from that. Devin Smeltzer should be the fifth starter. But obviously, if they trade for Frankie Montas, he would probably be the most likely one to get kicked out of the rotation if they moved on from Bundy and Archer. If they traded for Montas, I think the starting rotation would look something like this. It'd be Montas as your number one, Joe Ryan as your two, Sonny Gray as your three, Bailey Ober and Josh Winder following as your four and five. And obviously, I'd love to see Smelter stay. I think you can maybe work him in as your long relief pitcher, maybe someone that comes in if one of your pitchers kind of gives you four innings, doesn't look the best, maybe gets injured. I think he'd be a perfect candidate to take over. Kind of what they do with Griffin Jackson at times. Griffin Jackson has been incredible, but sometimes when the Twins need a player to come in and eat a couple innings up, he's been kind of their guy. Kind of like almost what Tyler Duffy was right away in the bullpen. Obviously, he went more of the high leverage situation the better he got. But I think moving forward, if you do trade for Frankie Montas, Smeltzer should be in that middle relief. I don't think he should be in St. Paul at all. He's obviously shown that he is a lot better than what he's maybe given you in the past. So where do you where do I stand then on the whole Chris Archer and Dylan Bundy? Now, I don't think you should DFA both. Obviously, you're just throwing away money, and I don't – frankly, I don't really care because it's not my money. So what the hell do I know? But if it were up to me, I would rather DFA Chris Archer over Dylan Bundy, and that's because – Dylan Bundy has proven to at least maybe be a little more durable, maybe more of a he's more of a cushion. When when Chris Archer's on the mound, I would I still feel a little more nervous than when Dylan Bundy's on the mound. And I think that's just because Dylan Bundy at least can go maybe five, six innings. He might give up six runs, or he might give up four runs, but at least he can go six. And Chris Archer is He's kind of a wild card. His stuff is a lot nastier, but he is so hit or miss with the command. And he's just not been giving you any kind of really quality starts. He's really been only just going three or four innings. And it after that first inning, he looks great. So maybe if the Twins' logic is, hey, we can DFA Bundy, use Chris Archer as that one inning out of the bullpen, that works too. But overall, I think if you're just trying to keep a guy using one of them for a middle relief. And then if someone's injured, goes on the COVID list, Dylan Bundy is more likely your guy to step up in that situation. Just because, like I said, he's just more durable. He can go longer. And he's just more of a comfort blanket, sort of say. And obviously, if you're trading for Montas, you're going to have to move a lot. Oakland knows that teams are going to be wanting Frankie Montas. It's not just the Twins. It's going to be the White Sox. It's going to be the Yankees. It's going to be the Cardinals. It's going to be pretty much every single contender that you can think of. And it's not like Frankie Montas is 34 or 35. He's, what is he, 29, 28, maybe. I'll double check. But he's he's 
fairly young. He's still got another year on his contract. So you're getting him for a year and a half. And he is 29. So he is 29 years old. He's got a year and a half left on his contract. Minnesota could still extend him at the end of that if they think that he, he can still contribute, if they think their window's still open. Maybe Carlos Correa resigns for a long term extension. And then you have Byron Buxton and Correa on the roster. And then you're maybe thinking, hey, we just gave up all these assets. Let's re-sign Montas as well. And that wouldn't be such a bad thing. But as I said, if you're trading for Frankie Montas, you're also going to be having to give up a lot. And I think the two most likely players at the top of the list to get traded if you move Frankie Montas would either be Austin Martin or Jordan Balazovic. Austin Martin, I'm not very high on him. At first, when they when they traded for him with that Jose Barrios trade, I was through the roof ecstatic. I thought they got a plus shortstop moving forward, guy who's going to be an anchor for the Twins with Byron Buxton in center, Martin up the middle. I thought it was going to I thought it was a home run move and Simeon Woods Richardson was kind of the guy we threw to the side and was like, "Hey, yeah, great throw in, but right now it's looking like Simeon Simeon Woods Richardson is the best player they got in that trade." Austin Martin right now is kind of I just don't know where he fits in long-term defensively. And his bat isn't the greatest, in my opinion. He doesn't hit for power. And if you're not hitting for power, you'd like to see maybe some more base hits, someone who's hitting 300. Now, he does get on base a lot. He does have a really good eye of the plate. He's done a great job taking walks. He steals bases. So he's got speed. He takes good. He takes quality at bats. And I know I've tweeted about it in the past about Nick Gordon, how like I don't really care if he doesn't hit for power. He's gets you a hit every fourth at bat. But frankly, sure, he was a top pick in the first round, but I don't, right now as we speak, Austin Martin has way higher of an expectation than Nick Gordon does. And I think even getting drafted, I think Austin Martin has way a lot, always had a lot higher of a ceiling than Nick Gordon. So to compare those two is not even, it's really not even relatively close. Austin Martin for as much as we want him to maybe pan out, I think you better move him now while his value is still high. I mean, he's hitting, as I said, 258. And I just, I don't know where he fits in, especially with Royce Lewis showing that he can maybe be the next guy. We saw him play well. And if he's healthy and you have Carlos Correa, maybe he resigns, like I said. You have Royce Lewis, Carlos Correa, Jorge Polanco, Byron Buxton in center. Where does Austin Martin fit? Giorgio has been good. Maybe resign on. Maybe Austin Martin can play third, but he's just not that great of a defender where I feel comfortable. I'd feel way better with with Royce Lewis at third, and maybe throwing in Austin Martin in some other position. But I don't know. I think if you if you really want a, a number one starter, you have to trade him for Frankie Montas, and then the other guy, Jordan Balzavic. He's he's been really underwhelming this year. I mean, he's he's had a history of injuries, but this season. In 18.1 innings, six games, he has a 9.82 ERA. He looks terrible. He's out, he's not going deep. He's going three innings. He's giving up five hits, eight hits, nine hits. You know, giving up multiple multiple runs. And if that's the guy the Twins were relying on to maybe be their number one or two, maybe even three third starter, is is probably not happening. He's he hasn't given you anything, even in St. Paul, like. Personally, I think that players in double A, double A is a good kind of idea where a player is going to be. Triple A is 
the highest, obviously, level. But a lot of the guys there are kind of your fringe, maybe MLB players, your guys who are still trying to make one more push for the MLB. That you're, they're kind of your 29, maybe 30-year-olds, some, maybe some 27, 28s. And double A is kind of where your top prospects are, or those guys kind of making that next leap to the MLB, those talented younger guys. So I think if he's already struggling in triple A, what is he really going to give you at the, at the big level at the major leagues? So right there, you have either a number two or number three prospect in the system. Would the A's want Jordan Balazovic? I don't know. I, I mean, if I was the A's and, I'm destined to eventually get rid of Frankie Montas. Maybe I'd take the flyer because he is a really good, he's a talented pitcher. He's one of the best in the twin system. And I thought for a while that he'd be the highest ceiling. You know, I thought he'd be a higher ceiling than Yuan Duran, maybe Matt Cantorino, all those guys. But he just hasn't shown it. So you're tossing in a number three or number three. I mean, number two or number three, sorry. And then you have to throw in a couple more assets. And I think right there is where you throw in Matt Wallner. He's a number 13 prospect. And as much as it hurts, it's just tough to see where Matt Wallner fits in as well. You know, you have Gilberto Celestino, who's stepped up to the plate. You have Mac, Max Kepler. He's been incredible this year, second in war on the team. Then you have Trevor Larner, who leads the team in war. Alex Kirilov, who can play outfield or first base. Nick Gordon has been awesome. You just have an abundance of players who can play in the outfield. And Matt Wallner might not really have a situation where he can step in and maybe produce at the big league level because there's just a logjam. So maybe you get rid of Matt Wallner in the trade because he is playing really well. You don't know if he's going to fit in the major league level. Right now, even though he started out the season cold, he's still hitting 259. He has 10 home runs. He has 36 RBIs. And during the month of May, he hit 301 with six bumps. And as I was tracking the thing, he would be hitting some weeks 400. He was hitting some weeks multiple three home run weeks it was he's been on a different level and he's one of the higher upside players in the twin system and maybe number two or number three prospect and a number 13 prospect might not be enough i think at that point you could just throw in another late top 30 prospect or just some fringe guy who looks like he might have some talent might be some player who's been kind of productive in the minor league system i think that should be able to do it i mean he's a year and a half on the books so to give up three top 15 top 20 prospects to me that seems like a lot i'd maybe go in a different direction i don't know who that might be maybe it's sandy alcantara there's just there's other options if that gets to the case i just wouldn't move every single top prospect just to get this one guy because obviously everyone's talking about him he's gonna be the almost the hottest commodity on the market so i think moving forward you have to maybe evaluate whether or not it's worth the risk. Obviously, you're going to try to contend for the World Series, so getting him would be a huge bonus, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't trade for him. I'm just saying don't give up the whole farm for this one player. Even though this season he is 2-5, and five. he has an ERA of 3.2. And 2-5, and five, you might be thinking, well, he's 2-5. and five. Why would you give up the number 2 or number 3 prospect and the number 13 prospect? And it's... The Athletics are the fourth worst team in baseball. So a guy who has a 3.2 ERA and he's, and if you look at baseball savant, he's every single percentile ranking, he's, he has a red. It's been great. The only one that he doesn't have it in is the average exit velocity, which just means when he gets hit, he gets hit hard. So you're kind of looking at it like, I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't want to, I mean, no, I'm just saying like, if he, if you're looking at it like that, like, 
he's been performing really well for a team that's bottom five in the league and moving and you have to maybe evaluate what you want to give up but as i stated maybe it's gonna be austin martin jordan balzavic or matt walner i think those two or or those three whatever way you want to mix it up those are gonna be your guys kind of moving forward that i'd move in a trade now upcoming schedule this is going to be sort of the barometer of where the twins are going to be at comparing them in the standings are they are they a top team in baseball are they i don't know it's tough like we saw them with the last los angeles dodgers we saw them against the houston astros and they got they got destroyed on those games and it's a little nerve-wracking to think like hey like Maybe this isn't the team we thought they were. And obviously they are nine games above 500 out as of Wednesday night, even though they just gave up a triple. It's not looking so great. The offense is cold again, but they threw out a pretty garbage lineup. It's But moving forward, this is going to be kind of the stretch where we look at it and say, hey, this is kind of the defining point of the season. You have the Toronto Blue Jays for three games. I said in my last podcast, they're going to get hot soon. They, I think they were two or three games above 500. And here they are, eight and two in their last ten games. They're twenty and twenty. Then you have the face of Yankees, who are the best team in baseball right now. They're thirty-four and fifteen. We know the history between those two. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch the whole Josh Donaldson revenge game. Obviously, you saw my tweet. I don't regret it. Gio Urshela over Josh Donaldson all day long. In a vacuum sense, Josh Donaldson is a more talented player, but Gio Urshela costs less. He's not a distraction in the locker room. Teammates have made several comments of why that they're having a lot of fun. You've heard Byron Buxton. You heard Max Kepler say it the other night. The reason he's playing so well is he's having a lot of fun in the clubhouse. Josh Donaldson's gone. Maybe that's the same thing. We heard uh, Liam Hendricks say the other week or two when he was in the locker room saying, hey, I've talked to four different clubhouses and all of, all of those four, none of them have ever liked him. So, Chirichel over Josh Donaldson. Chirichel also has a higher batting average. He has about the same amount of home runs, if not the same. I can't remember. might have changed since I tweeted that. Chirichel has more RBIs, and Urshel is playing phenomenal defense. He looks like a gold glover out there. So why would why would you not think that Chirichel has been a better fit for than Josh Donaldson? So I stand by the tweet. Chirichel over Josh Donaldson all day long. You can argue with me if you want, but that's where I stand. Then you have to face the Tampa Bay Rays for three games. Minnesota already beat them in the series, and Tampa Bay is 20 and 21. Of those three, the Yankees are obviously the best team. The Toronto Blue Jays, I think, have the highest potential to maybe mess with the Twins a little more, especially we don't know yet who's going to be able to travel with COVID restriction and everything like that. So moving forward, it'll be interesting to see kind of where the Twins stack up in the next nine games against the AL East. But I think this is going to be kind of a really good, pretty good like barometer of where this team is going to be moving forward. All right, let's move things on to the Minnesota Timberwolves. The NBA draft is coming up in a couple weeks, June 23rd on a Thursday night to be exact. Kind of like what I did in the past with the NFL draft. I'm going to be kind of going over some position groups and then maybe Going forward, I'll just go into the small forwards and then the point guard, shooting guard. And then that last week, maybe I do a little bit of a mock draft, kind of like what I did before with the NFL. And moving forward, the Minnesota Timberwolves do have the 19th pick. They also have three second-round picks. But kind of more specifically, 
for this scenario. I'm just going to be kind of going over players that can maybe take at the 19th pick, maybe someone they could take if they move up to like 17, 18, maybe 16, 15, or if they move back a couple slots like 23, 24, 25. So moving forward, this specific podcast for this NBA draft will be kind of more about the power forward centers, though I don't have any power forwards on the list. And that's just because I don't feel very strongly about some of the power forwards in the draft. A lot of them that are in that power forward mold that they would find maybe in that 19th pick area, they're kind of a a tweener per se, like guys who are 6'8". And uh, you have EJ Liddell, who's 6'7", 243. I'm a huge Ohio State fan. I don't think that EJ Liddell would be a great fit on the Wolves. 6'7", I don't really think he solves kind of Minnesota's problems. And then you have uh, blanket on the name, but the, the guy from LSU, I'm going to go over him. I watched some film on him today. You have the guy from LSU. You have this guy who has literally almost the same name as Nikola Jokic, Nikola Jovic, who is 6'10", but he's kind of skinnier and he kind of plays like a small forward, kind of like a Bogdanovich type of player. So moving forward, I didn't, I kind of excluded those guys from the list and I'll kind of put them in the mold of a, small forward next week. So look forward to kind of hearing more about those guys. This kind of will be more of a center podcast centric type of deal. So for the first player who I'm the highest on is Mark Williams, the center from Duke. He might get picked a few picks before the Wolves. So I'm thinking maybe you have to move maybe one of your second round picks to move up. Maybe you move on from kind of one of your bench players, kind of move up a couple slots Maybe move Leander Balmero, kind of a thing. Something that has some sort of value that can move you maybe three or four slots. And Mark Williams, he's your he's everything Minnesota kind of needs at that center position. Kind of a guy who can play defense down low, can rim protect, can rebound, provide size, athleticism, energy. And that's specifically what Minnesota really needs. I mean, he's a sophomore out of college. And I really like those kind of guys that are not maybe fourth years, but your second or third year kind of guys. That's what you really kind of want almost with your teams that are trying to contend. I mean, maybe Minnesota's not in their minds. They're trying to contend, but realistically, are they contending for an NBA championship next season? Probably not, but. Those kind of guys that are second or third years, they don't need so much learning. They kind of come in. They know their role. They know what kind of player they already are. They don't try to do too much. And that's kind of what I really like. So measurables, he's 7 foot, 243 pounds. He's 7 foot, 2 in shoes. He's got a 7 foot, 6 wingspan. Last season, he averaged 11.2 points, 7.4 rebounds, 2.8 blocks, 0.5 steals per game. He also shot 72.1% from the field and 72.7% from the line. He's not a guy who shoots the ball from deep. He shoot he shot one shot from three in, during his sophomore season, and that was literally all he took in the two years at Duke. So some of the pros, he's super athletic. If you watch his highlights, if you watch his film, you're going to see that the majority of his work is literally done through pick and rolls in the dunker spot. He's going to get the majority of his shots at the rim. He's going to be dunking a lot. He's a fun player to watch if you just watch his highlights alone. As size, I mentioned before, 
seven foot two in, in the shoes, seven foot six wingspan. And because he's that big, he's that's why he does so well at getting shots up at the rim. That's why he blocked 2.8 shots per game. He hit a game high eight blocks against NC State last season. He also had a couple five or six block games sprinkled through throughout the season. He's he's an incredible defender as well. He he defends the pick and roll well. And even when he's down low in the post and players are trying to back him down, he's not a player that's going to kind of hunch over, pick up fouls. He plays pretty much straight up for the most part. And that's that's really appealing for a player who's a sophomore coming out of college. He plays straight up. He had a few games where he had four fouls. But for the most part, he really only tallied like three or less fouls. And some of the weaknesses, as I said, he only took one shot. But if you are able to shoot 72% from the free throw line, usually that's kind of a good maybe suggestion of where they might be in a couple of years. So if you're looking at it, Mark, uh, Mark Williams, I think, will maybe develop into a three-point shooter. I don't know if it's going to be a great three-point shot. Maybe it's your 28 30%, but something to keep the defense honest, at least. Now they're not expecting you to just be down low the entire time. But the whole free throw things kind of suggest that maybe he can be a knockdown shooter at some point in his career, kind of like what Gorgie Jang almost was with the Wolves. And I don't know, maybe this is going to be – a problem because he can't shoot and he spends most of his time in the dunker spot. And we kind of saw the same issue with Jared Vanderbilt, the guy who was six foot eight, six foot nine, does really good at rebounding, plays extra hard on defense, hustles, energy. But he kind of clogs the lane. And so maybe you're thinking like maybe Williams is going to be clogging the lane as well. But I don't see that maybe as much because of his athleticism, because of his because of his size, excuse me. And he's just more polished offensively, and that's where I think is a huge difference over Jared Vanable. He's a much better player, at least coming out of college. I don't know, maybe that won't translate to the NBA. But overall, Williams would be the five on offense and the five on defense, and he'd provide Minnesota with a threat at the rim on both ends of the floor. He and D'Angelo Russell could work wonders in the pick and roll, even Jordan McLaughlin as well. If he can develop into a shot, then I think he'd be a really elite player at the NBA level. And worst case, he's just a really good size off the bench, someone who can rebound, someone who's just really efficient, kind of someone who doesn't make maybe as many mistakes. And my NBA comparison for Mark Williams is kind of your Clint Capella, Robert Williams, some guy, like a guy who can just play efficiently down low, rim protect, play good defense, super athletic, going to be a, a threat in the whole lob situation. Next guy on my list, though, is Jalen Duran from Memphis. He's a center there. He's another guy that could get picked maybe a couple picks before Minnesota selects. So a huge name, a huge team to look out for is the Charlotte Hornets. They are in desperate need of a center as well, and they have two picks before Minnesota at 13 and 15. So Maybe Minnesota needs to trade with them, or maybe they select one of those guys at 13 and 15, and then you kind of swoop in and take the other one. Either way, they're both really good players, but Jalen Duran is a little bit bigger, more weight-wise, strength-wise. And when you look at both of them, you'll see that Duran definitely comes off as a bigger player, even though he's 6'11", 
he's just 250 pounds. He just, and he's a freshman out of college. So maybe you're thinking six foot 11, 250 freshman. He's going to maybe put on another 10 or 15 pounds. He's got a seven foot five wingspan. As a freshman, he averaged 12.0, 12 points per game, 8.1 rebounds, 2.1 blocks, and 0.8 steals. He shot 59.7% from the field and 62.5% from the line. Some of the pros, he's extremely athletic, very efficient as well. A majority of his baskets, like Williams, is from the alley-oop or just dunks at the rim. He plays in that dunker spot mold area or just the majority of his baskets are literally just dunks. And that's kind of where I'll talk into some weaknesses in a second here, but he moves very, he's very agile. He can rim run. When he gets the ball, he's very fluent in his motion. He's able to kind of corral the ball, maybe have some playmaking ability off of that. And for a guy who's 250 pounds, that's incredible, especially because he is a wrecking ball inside. As soon as he gets down low, good luck stopping him. He's a great rebounder at six foot 11, 250. Defense, you know, he's players are going to have a really tough time going through that kind of a big body. He blocked 2.1 shots. But with the cons, though, he is not a three point shooter like Williams. But the difference is he's 10% worth, worst, 10% worse, sorry, at the line, which means that I don't know if he develops into a shot. And I think maybe you're thinking, maybe just your prototypical five, maybe kind of what Andre Drummond has always been his whole career. Good rebounder, great size, athletic early on, just never developed into the shot. So I think that's kind of really concerning. He also doesn't ever play with his back to the basket. He doesn't really have any post moves. He really like only relies on his athleticism to get himself to the rim for that dunk. And if someone's not spoon feeding him, he's kind of going to be a, a liability on offense per se. So I'm a little concerned in that sense that he doesn't have a shot. He doesn't have any post moves. He really is just a really talented athletic player that you're hoping to maybe mold into someone with a little more of a skill set. So overall, I would take Mike Williams over Duran if I if both were on the board at where the Wolves were picking. I just think that Williams is a better player and maybe Duran proves to be that he can be a better player long term. But right now Williams is more polished. He can maybe potentially develop a shot. And I think that pro comparison maybe early on Andre Drummond maybe you compare him to a DeAndre Aiden without the range. And again, I think he's yet that Robert Williams kind of a player. And the last guy, I almost want to say that I like Walker Kessler over Jalen Duran almost just because of his size, his defend defensive ability. And I think there's room for him to eventually develop a three point shot. So he's someone that it could even that the Wolves would probably be able to snag at 19, or even they could move back a couple slots and gain another asset in the trade. I think he should be available there or 22, 23. Last season he averaged 11.4 points, 8.1 rebounds, 4.6 blocks, and 1.1 steals per game. He shot 60.8% from the field, 20% from three, and 59.6 from the line. The measurables, he's seven foot one. 245 pounds and a seven foot four wingspan. So some of the pros, as I mentioned before, his size is extremely intriguing. He's seven foot one, seven foot one. He's 245 pounds. He's a sophomore coming out of college. So 
maybe he's going to stick at that 245, 250, 255 range. But already you're talking about a guy who's going to be able to come in, play for the Wolves, great size, kind of a little bit more of a polished player per se than maybe a freshman, maybe a little more experience, a little more knowledge. And at at seven foot one, he's he's an incredible defensive player. If you just when I listed off four point six blocks per game and one point one steals, he combined for five point seven stocks. That's insane. He was a defensive player of the year in the SEC. And Minnesota could really use someone who's seven foot one, two forty five, and is going to be blocking three blocks per game. That's literally what Minnesota needs. We keep talking about trading for Miles Turner. There's your Miles Turner. He's a guy who's literally almost built for being that player, especially when you're talking about a guy who's 20% from three. Maybe he, that kind of develops into a 28, 30% shot. Maybe that develops into a, a 33, 35% three point shooter who blocks two, three shots per game. And that's literally Miles Turner. And he's going to be great in the pick and roll. He's efficient. He looks semi-comfortable down low. Maybe that's not really a pro, but I'll get into it here in a second with the con. But some of the cons, he does lose the ball a little bit too much. He's got a 1.1 turnovers per game. So maybe you're not thinking about it. Hey, yeah, he's comfortable down low. He turns the ball over over one time per game. Then he's a center. That's just not the best what you'd like to see. He's a little slow when he does have the ball. He doesn't have that burst. He doesn't have that athleticism as maybe Miles Turner does. But the shooting, 20%, you get he's that 59.6 from the line. It's a little concerning, but his shot does look pretty fluent. If you if you just watch his highlights and you just watch him shoot a three-point shot, and if you've played basketball, maybe even haven't, you can still look at a shot and say, hey, that guy at least has – the ability to become a knockdown shooter from the corner, maybe from the from the top of the key, from the wing. He's he's a guy who has a lot of upside, in my opinion, because of his size, because of his defense, because of his ability to potentially shoot the ball from three. And overall, I really like I really like him. I think he's I think if you're Minnesota, your big board has to be Mike has to be sorry, not Mike has to be Mark Williams, and then you have to go to Walker Kessler and then Jalen Duran. And I think like I said I forgot to mention it. Walker Kessler, in my opinion, his pro comparison, obviously, if you couldn't tell, is Miles Turner. I think he's the perfect guy. And moving forward into next week, I will be talking about the small forwards. As I said, I think some of those guys would be better suited as small forwards long term. So I didn't, I kind of skipped over the power forwards because of the guys who had 19 would be better suited at three. And I just want to touch up a little bit on the Minnesota Vikings. So they signed Albert Wilson and they released AJ Rose Jr. Albert Wilson is a five foot nine receiver, obviously not great size, but he's going to be someone who's going to be playing in the slot. He has, he's a vertical threat. As soon as he gets into open space, Good luck trying to tackle him. He's very elusive. He can break tackles. He can get things going. And obviously, they were working out D.D. Westbrook earlier that day, and things just didn't happen. They didn't really get the sense, I guess. he just, Westbrook moved a little bit too slow and trying to 
maybe weigh out some of his options. He had other options on the table reportedly. So they move with Albert Wilson pretty quick. So obviously the Minnesota Vikings front office must see something they really like to move that quickly for a guy. Uh, He did opt out on the 2020 season due to COVID, but since 2015, he has recorded a touchdown every single game. So there's a guy that can maybe come in, be a home run type of player, come in, play some special teams. And especially with Amir Smith-Marset, it was reported today by Chris Thomason that he's going to be out for the rest of uh, rest of spring. He's in a walking boot, but he is expected to be back by training camp. So maybe not really as much of a concern, but maybe someone that can come in, be a depth option. I'm talking about Wilson. Sorry. So Wilson just can come in, be a depth option, be sort of competition at the wide receiver place, wide receiver position, not place. And you also have Jalen Naylor, who you drafted, and I, I'm also really high on as that vertical threat. And I think maybe having Wilson in this group, in this camp, I think this is going to be an exciting core of wide receivers. You have Justin Jefferson, KJ Osborne. You have Adam Thielen, Amir Smith-Marset. Uh, BZ Johnson is going to be back. Uh, so there's a lot of receivers, a lot of competition to be sort of keeping an eye on as training camp and the preseason moves along. And if you aren't already excited about the offense, I think you need to be more excited because Matt Anderson, host of host of happy Vikings. Oh, sorry. I I'm butchering this. My bad. He's also, so I completely got this wrong. Matt Anderson. I apologize, but he is part of daily Norseman and he tweeted out, that Adam Thielen mentioned on the Pat McAfee show that this is the most learning he's ever done. And I don't think it should come as a surprise. Mike Zimmer was a defensive-minded coach. He wasn't really someone that maybe took the offense to the next level as someone as Kevin O'Connell will. Kevin O'Connell is obviously coming from the Los Angeles Rams as more of an offensive-minded style. So I think this is going to be really fun. They're going to be passing a lot more. And... If you didn't already buy stock into Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, or even Earth Smith Jr., now's the time to do so. And I'm sure I'll get more into this as the spring, summer, whatever you want to call it right now. It's still kind of really cold out. Maybe that's just because I'm up north. But moving forward, this is something I'm going to be talking about. Kirk Cousins, is this is going to be the defining season for him. Obviously, the contract is going to be coming up pretty soon. And Kevin O'Connell, if he can't sort of make him almost into an elite quarterback or a top 10 quarterback, kind of Matt Stafford was always a really good quarterback with the Lions. But bringing him into Los Angeles, I think he kind of maybe untapped some other stuff in his game. Obviously, having all that talent around him really helps, but he won the Super Bowl. And I think it'll be really interesting to see what Kirk Cousins is able to do with Kevin O'Connell And that's going to be kind of a really defining factor this season. And I don't know. I'm just really excited. Maybe that's just a beer. But that wraps up our 11th episode. Thank you all for listening. Cheers.